The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do thank you for listening, and we're glad to have you tuning in today as uh, this is our Thanksgiving edition of Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we already have our host on the line, but before we get started with that, we always do a couple of things. And uh, one is a moment of silence for those veterans, those veterans that gave the ultimate sacrifice, and our folks that are on active duty giving their sacrifice today. So we'll be back right after this uh short moment of prayer and we do thank you for listening Thank you for remembering our folks that have served and those and the families that have given the ultimate sacrifice and all of the active duty folks that are deployed around the world. We are very thankful for them and we'll be talking about that. And uh, before we get started, we want to make sure that your heart is up and pumping well. So here we go. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. He can hang. He can hang. Young man. Young man. He can hang. He can hang. Feels good. Feels good. So good. So good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pick him up. Pick him up. Put him down. Put him down. First the left. First the left. Then the right. Then the right. And there we go with our cadence call. So everybody's heart should be beating now a little faster and ready to take that last quarter mile. And uh, we have our host on, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And Philip, are you having a good day? I'm having a wonderful day, David. How about you? Super. Uh you know, every day I get up and uh, I'm on top of the grass, it's a good day. Yep, I heard that. <laughs> or, uh, we Sometimes we would say, every day is a good day in the Army. That's right. Sometimes, sometimes it was a little tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, some days in the Army is like some days in civilian life. Uh, one day might be just a little bit better, but uh, they're all good days, and uh, 
we're very thankful for those days. And uh, that's what I wanted to talk about today was uh, we've done a couple of Thanksgiving shows, I believe, at, at this point, at least one other, but a couple, I think. But, you know, I always, uh, when I was in, Thanksgiving was, you know, something that was coming and and the precursor to something even bigger. But, you know, like we've talked before, the military and particularly, particularly the cooks always tried their darndest and they, in generally speaking, did a very good job of bringing a touch of home to us on a holiday. And uh, I don't. I have no idea how many turkeys are cooked by the military on Thanksgiving, or sometimes it was the day before. But you know, they our military works very hard to bring a touch of home. Maybe that's the best way I can say it. A touch of home to. Our soldiers, our seamen, you know, all of, all of the fir- folks that are on active duty. And, uh, I guess, uh, we're in Iraq and, uh, any places in the Middle East, they, they could stop us from having ham, but they couldn't stop you from having turkey, could they? Uh, they never stopped us from having ham. We didn't have ham in the King's Mess Hall in Saudi Arabia, but we had ham, sausage, and bacon every morning for breakfast at our own mess tent. Well, and I'm sure you enjoyed it. Yeah, I I loved it. And you know, it's an interesting thing about being in combat. I I ate everything I could get my hands on, uh, including copious cakes and snacks candies and nuts and things that, that folks from home sent us and uh, and I still lost about 25 pounds during the <laughs> six months I was over there and I can't tell you what it was was it stress was it uh, not getting any sleep or you know I don't know what it was but uh, I ate as much as I could and uh, and it was uh and I was a lean, mean fighting machine when I got home. <laughs> lean, mean fighting machine. Well, I, I think what you just said covers it all, whether it was the stress, the uh, whatever situation. You know, it all leads to uh, leads to our health in one way or the other. And I, I would gather or would venture to say that that all of it played a part in you losing weight. And not just one thing, but the idea that all of it combined. And, uh, you know, stress can burn a lot of calories. Yeah, well, I lost a lot of weight, but we won the war. We won the war. And we thank you for being there and and the role that you played in it. And that's why we're doing the show is to... Help people remember, and and like I started off with, uh, I guess, I guess one of the things I'm the most thankful for is our military and our veterans. Uh, 
they, over the years, they have made this country great. And I, it bothers me if, if anybody says anything derogatory about our military, and particularly if they've never served. And I, we have the most wonderful military in the world, probably the most caring military in the world, and it's made up of the finest men and women in the world. Not all of them are saints, nor nor is any situation full of only saints. But at the same token, we do, and we always have, in my opinion, had the best military going. And I contribute that to the fine leaders like yourself, Phil, that have taken young men and turned them into real men. And as a leader, you showed, you know, a leader has to do more than just say it. They've got to prove it and do it. And we have been very fortunate over the years. Again, not all of our leaders have been perfect by any stretch. But I'm going to say none of them have been perfect. Well, that's true. But at the same token, they, they've done their job. And their job is to take young men and turn them into old men, I guess. But, uh, you know, no, in some ways that's, in some ways that's very true. Take young men and make sure they make it to being old men. Yes. So, of course, you know, the mission comes first, right? You have to accomplish the mission and everything has to be subordinate to that. But in addition, um, I wanted to take the the lives that have been entrusted to me and return them to their loved ones to the maximum extent possible, um, still alive and healthy. And, uh, and then on top of that, I wanted to develop those uh, young leaders under me uh, lieutenants and sergeants so that they would um, uh, get the leadership skills necessary to do that same thing, accomplish the mission and return their troops to their loved ones in, in one piece. And um, and I was only was encouraged to do that by uh, those senior to me who had taught me uh leadership and had uh, taught me how to care for soldiers and uh, to make their welfare uh, preeminent. So, um, of course, subordinate to the mission. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, I served a lot of uh, folks who were leaders that uh, taught me a great many important things. And those who were not so good leaders, um, they taught me a lot, too. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you just have to uh, keep your eyes open. And, you know, I would tell the young leader, I'd say, you're going to be exposed to so many different types of leadership. 
your challenge is to observe the types of leaders you're under and to determine, you know, if that is effective or ineffective uh, style of leadership and to, you know, to avoid those things that you regard as mistakes in leadership and to incorporate those things that you admire in, in your superior leaders uh, to your own leadership style and development. And, you know, i got to say, if that's probably done us well from uh, from Lexington and Concord all the way to uh, today. You know, as I've said many, many times, and you probably get tired of hearing me say it, but our military and and everything that goes on, and this is from Reveille to uh, to taps, you know, uh, and it it's uh, it's all been orchestrated over the years, just like you said, from two hundred and forty years ago, and they have. I give credit to all of the leaders that have been in the military, and. You know, you and I talk Army, but it's true in uh, the Navy and in the Marine Corps and, you know, Air Force, all of our branches. And I think because of the fine leadership and the, and the, and the practice and the practice and the practice that goes on day in and day out, that we have gained, we we have a military second to none, and and I don't even I can't address other countries, but our military, for lack of better words, is so capable of mashing together. Uh, you know, there could be a lot of I don't want to say animosity, but there could be a lot of. Uh, uh, disputes or whatever between the Navy and the Army or Marine Corps or whatever it happens to be. But when the call goes out, we're all one gigantic military machine. And a Marine has just as much respect and salutes an officer in the Army as they do in the Marine Corps and same way with the Navy and same way with the Coast Guard and everything else. And this, this plan, whoever, whoever came up with this plan has, is an absolute genius and should be recognized as formulating the greatest war machine ever in the history of the world. That's my opinion. Well, um, who came up with it, I guess, would be uh, the Continental Congress in uh, June of 1775, the ones that established uh, the Continental Army, which is what we call the today United States Army. And then they also established Navy. I guess uh, George Washington had a lot to do with it. He... Uh, 
he was a uh, soldier under the British during the French and Indian Wars, and um, he learned about uh, military discipline and, and tactics from the, from his time uh, serving under a British command. But uh, he, uh, it, a lot of people don't realize uh, George Washington put up the money for the first ten ships in the United States Navy. So. Um, George Washington's father of our country, the first general in chief of our army, and he's kind of the father of our navy, or at least the bankroller of our navy. All right, that's incredible. No, I did not know that. You know, this is this is why I beg people to always, when we go into any of our shows, but particularly this one, have your pen and paper ready because you're going to learn something just like. I just learned something, and I thought I I was somewhat of a historian, but I don't hold a candle to Philip Forsberg. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, it's great that you can that you have this, and that uh, I, you know, I I've always thought that Washington was great, and. You know, as great as he, in my opinion, he was, there was humility and humbleness in it. I felt like he was a very humble man. I'm told they offered to make him king, and he declined that. Yeah, I'd heard that. (laughs) Uh, Which is good. Oh, yeah. And... uh, you know, I, I just personally, as we've talked on and off the air, marvel at our founding fathers, their um, ability to write a document like the Constitution that, you know, these people that say it's a living Constitution, it's, it doesn't take a breath by any means, but... It's a very, I find it very interesting that our Constitution is so flexible that it can take on almost, and has, almost any issue that can come up. And you wonder how in the world did our founding fathers know to address that question? And it just boggles my mind. Which isn't too hard to boggle. I think, uh, you know, I think they thought about the problems they'd encountered, and all the different uh, disappointments they suffered, the, you know, the way they were being governed, and uh, they set about to to address those things. I wouldn't say our constitution is flexible. I would say it's uh, it is forward thinking in that it it is uh, controlling in in ways that it needs to be and it is uh, uh, silent where it intends to be silent and issues for which it intends to be silent. And they had the foresight too that any issue that we, uh, we don't address in the United States Constitution we give the we give the power to the states. 
Um, and, you know, I mean, there are people who uh, are all aghast that the uh, Supreme Court would uh, overturn Roe versus Wade, but all they said was that that's not one of the constitutional powers of our national government that belongs to the state. And they didn't outlaw anything. They just uh, said it's not something that the Constitution covers, um, which I think is <clears throat> putting things right. However you feel about uh, abortion, I think it's just putting things right. And that's why <clears throat> we're supposed to, uh, those of us who, you know, served and those who serve today in our uh, government, they swear a, um, an oath to the Constitution to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. When they say support, what they mean is that you're going to obey it and uh, submit to it and also protect Nancy Pelosi likes to keep saying uh, that we're supposed to protect and defend the Constitution, which is two the exact same things, right? Protect and defend it. Just two ways of saying the same thing. The, the oath says support and defend the Constitution. Two different functions, and they both need to be adhered to. And um, I would venture my opinion to say that uh, it, it's my observation that uh, Nancy Pelosi has neither uh, supported nor defended the Constitution. I would applaud what you're saying uh, and, and totally agree. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's like our flag. Our, in my opinion, our flag and our Constitution go hand in hand in many ways. Uh, we wouldn't have our flag and the respect for it if we didn't have the written word being the Constitution. And, you know, it kills me that I don't think the Constitution is even taught in schools anymore. I know I learned it, and I know we had to learn and be able to recite the preamble and uh, had many questions regarding the con- Constitution when I was in school. And I think the kids are missing out by not not knowing it better and or knowing it at all. Well, I think that education is primarily the responsibility of the parents and, and parents if, you're, if your children are not being taught the constitution then you need to teach it to them and if you don't know enough about the constitution to teach it to them then you need to spend the next few days reading it and then you can teach it because it's a very simple document And while they're teaching their kids, they could teach some of our uh, representatives and senators as well. Yeah, it'd probably be a good thing to sit down and read the Constitution before you go vote. Yeah, absolutely. And before you take the oath of office. 
They, um, I'm amazed at some of our representatives that have no clue about the Constitution. But I'm very thankful that we have the republic that we have and the men and women that have served in the past, those that are thinking about serving, and we'll be doing a show on that about the high school uh, classes that are graduating and that so many high school folks now are beginning to see an avenue for their success being the military. And I'm very thankful for our young adults that want to join the military and very thankful for those that are serving right now. Um, you know, let me ask you, Phil, as you know people, uh, I know just because I care, but I, I can't give you an exact number, but... I know that we have people literally all over the world. And I mean it all over the world. And if you got one, you probably got two. And if you got two, you probably got six that are serving somewhere. And I I don't think the man on the street has any comprehension of how spread out and spread all over the world our military is. Well, um, yeah, there are uh, there are troops serving in harm's way in places that uh, are not in the news, uh, and having been one of those who served uh, in a conflict where was <clears throat> not talked about. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit thankless and, uh, you know, there's no, there's no parades for those guys. But, you know, we have, we have guys that are serving in places in Africa where they face daily danger in combat situations. Um, in countries of the Middle East that, uh, we don't, uh, we don't talk about openly. Um, there's this perception that we have had nothing but uh, the pacification of the world uh, just by surrendering in uh, Afghanistan, and uh, it's that is uh, <clears throat> I'll just say it's not the case. And uh, so, well, you know, this Thanksgiving, if you have an opportunity to invite uh, a service member to come have a Thanksgiving dinner with you, I would say um, that would be wonderful. I know um, we uh, we would sometimes ha- uh, invite, uh, when I was serving uh, as an officer in the Army, we would sometimes have enlisted folks over for Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, and then sometimes we would, um, wife would put on her finest and I would you know, get on my dress blues, and we'd go have our Thanksgiving uh, down at the mess hall. Hmm. And uh, they they did a fantastic job in the mess hall uh, putting on a wonderful Thanksgiving spread for the troops. Um, and uh, so <clears throat> I'll say another thing about uh, Army Chow. You know, I grew up uh, 
on Long Island, New York, and sort of uh, cloistered in our own uh, uh, culture and community there. And uh, going into the Army, I was exposed to uh, folks from all over the country. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an eye-opener. But, you know, I would tell them what it was like to grow up where I grew up, and they'd tell me, what it was like to grow up where they grew up and you know some of them well, they were all different races and they were all different backgrounds uh, some of them were uh, the you know the first ones in their family to be born in the U.S. Uh, some were uh, you know their family had been in the U.S. so long they couldn't tell you when they got there and um, some of them were from inner cities and some of them were for way out in rural areas and uh, it, it was interesting uh, I think the first time I ever had uh, grits was uh, at an army mess hall in <laughs> Fort Dix, New Jersey and I had no idea um, how to eat them <laughs> what, you know I thought they were like cream of wheat I was put some uh, sugar and milk on them and the uh the folks around me, you know, asked me what in the world I was doing. <laughs> I didn't know there was a wrong way to eat grits, but uh, I, I still didn't know that. Uh, I, I thought you got them. You can eat them with uh, shrimp. You can eat them just about any way you want to. Well, I suppose I was. Uh, they instructed me they're supposed to be savory and not sweet. Hmm. I thought it was more of a breakfast cereal, but um, I was instructed not to <laughs> eat grits. And then I, you know, learned that they put uh, hot sauce on everything. Sure. So, so one day I'm eating my grits, and I went put some hot sauce on. Well, I got the same reaction as putting sugar on them. <laughs> That's not how we eat grits. So. <laughs> well. I don't. I don't know that those whoever was giving you that advice was really a true Southerner. You know, maybe. Uh, perhaps not. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you eat grits and whatever puts a smile on your face, you're doing it right. And everybody to his own taste, you know. But I, I will say that I, you know, I, I want to stress the fact that our government. Our military takes care of our troops the best that they can. And, you know, when, when you were in Iraq or no matter where you're deployed and under almost any situation, be it Vietnam or any place else, on some days, particularly Thanksgiving and on Christmas, those folks in the mess hall bust their butts to give you a taste of home. And you can be out in the middle of a thunderstorm cutting that piece of turkey up. But they're going to try. And I do you know of other countries that do it like we do it? Uh, no. Uh, I don't know of any other countries that has a national day of Thanksgiving. Um, 
Well, not only that, but when are their national days? Do they uh, do they bring out the chandeliers like we do? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've only been in a handful of uh, foreign mess halls uh, and never on a, uh, one of their holidays. So I really couldn't tell you. Well, I I salute our all branches of our military and and all branches of their mess halls for you know you can be 600 feet underwater and they're going to be serving turkey and mashed potatoes and whatever else you know and there are a lot of guys serving that probably don't even realize oh this is thanksgiving you know <laughs> And yet they'll get a Thanksgiving meal. And I think it's wonderful, and I salute all of those that... And and probably they didn't get the credit that they should even when they were in, but the mess sergeants and all of those that served in the mess hall, they did an outstanding, and they do an outstanding job. And uh, that's my opinion, but... Uh, I think most uh, people that have served would attest to that. Yeah, I agree by and large. Um, they're uh, great folks. Um, and uh, they, uh, <clears throat> you know, they make do with what they have. And uh, it's, uh, it's encouraging to me that... Uh, that they're able to uh, to do those things, and that, and that our you know chain of command from the president on down makes an effort uh, to to provide that sort of uh, touch of home for the troops, and uh, also um, you know that they uh, they'll do whatever they can with what they have but they're they're better resourced and I've, I think I've told you about uh, having uh, sent a couple of my soldiers during Desert Storm uh, over to uh, have a Thanksgiving dinner with uh, President George H.W. Bush who come to visit <clears throat> the troops on that occasion and, uh, and you know not everybody got to go I didn't go um but uh, it was, you know, they sort of went representing us. And uh, and we were very gratified that the president would come down and have uh, Thanksgiving dinner with us. You know, and I just had a thought that we've never, you know, you and I have never talked about it, I don't believe. But <clears throat> the uh, holiday shows, the USO shows that, that they would put on during the holidays, be it, Bob Hope and his Christmas special or with Ann Margaret, that that would be a Christmas present for anybody. But, you know, again, the military working with civilians do one heck of a job on trying to bring a smile to the soldier's face. Uh, Martha Ray. Yeah. Those uh, morale shows that they did were um, excellent. I can't recall any 
uh, during Desert Storm. Certainly not a Christmas visit. Somebody may have, but I think we were we were pretty darn busy around Christmas time because we were just putting the finishing touches on <clears throat> that can of whoop ass we were fixing to open. So, um, <laughs> but uh, the the USO did come down and do a show. I think Charlie Pride came down to uh, Honduras when I was uh, serving down there. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Bob Hope, of course, uh, was just a, an icon of that. Um, like you say, Martha Ray. You know, these things go back to, to the Second World War. Um, uh, I know that uh, Toby Keith uh, has done a lot of concerts for our troops over the past several years uh, in, in country where they're serving. Um, oh, who else? Uh, Dolly, Dolly Parton was a big one. You know, mm-hmm. These morale things. In many ways. Yeah. <laughs> He's a sweetheart. You know, one of the stories that... Um was related. We used to do a show called uh, A Veteran's Story, and one of the stories that was related that I loved was when Martha Ray went to Vietnam, and, you know, she was a registered nurse, and she did the show, but then she also did a show in in a MASH unit, and uh, she went right in put on her surgical outfit and joined right in with uh, triaging and working with the soldiers that had been wounded. And she knew what the hell she was doing. She was a registered nurse and had practiced for many years before she became a comedian. And... uh, She was was a great lady. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is... This is some place that, uh, you know, this is why I'm so, everybody, not just me, but everybody should be so thankful to live, be born, or be, become a citizen of the United States. And anybody that says anything against the United States should leave immediately and try walking across the Atlantic or walk across the Pacific to wherever they want to go because they this is the greatest country in the world. And our people, you know, yeah, you and I may have an argument, but that doesn't mean we're, that doesn't mean we're going to meet at sundown in the middle of the street. We just, maybe we would disagree about something, but we still live in the greatest country in the world and everybody should fall on their knees every morning and thank God for living here and the opportunities that we have and the protection that we have from our great military. My soapbox. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, you know, and, and this is uh, Thanksgiving coming up. And I'm, I'm thankful um, to the Lord God for uh, all the many blessings he's given me, uh, and not least of which, uh, well, the, just uh, redeeming me from my state of sin. 
and uh, it's uh, I'll praise him forever over that. Well, again, I, I come back to uh, our country and what a blessing it is to live here and what a blessing it is to, you know, we've said it over and over again that you see somebody wearing a, a cap that says, I served on or I served with, you go over and you thank them, you buy them a dinner, you do whatever is appropriate at the time, but mainly you thank them for serving. And this, and if you see somebody on active duty, do the same. And if you have the opportunity with a, with a first responder, be it a cop, a fireman, or EMT, whatever it might be, just offer your hand and offer your thanks to them. Because ultimately, I can assure you, it will mean more and give you an even better feeling then it gives the uh, one that you're offering because y- you have just done a little bit for somebody that does a whole lot for you. And, uh, you know, it's, I tell you the other thing that I would, I would love to do, but yet you don't, <laughs> you want to do it, but you can't do it. And you don't really want to do it because it would point them out. But if you see a mother and, and two children and you can figure out that, that's because the husband's deployed, or maybe vice versa. That, you know, a member of a family deployed takes the whole family with them. And a lot of folks just can't understand that, but it, uh, it takes the whole family. And again, being on my soapbox, we are so fortunate you know, let me ask you something, Phil. Do you do you think any other country in the world, and maybe you know of them, and I don't, that could have a situation with this many men and women in the military that are all volunteers? <clears throat> no, I don't think any other nation uh, has a volunteer force like ours, uh, and. Uh, I don't know how they would, they'd have to become us to be able to get a volunteer force like us because that's, uh, our folks volunteer because they believe in America and they believe, uh, that it's worth, uh, defending. I would, uh, encourage folks who at this holiday season, not just Thanksgiving, but until, uh, until after Christmas and New Year's, uh, there are many veterans that are um, in uh, hospital care at uh, Veterans Administration Hospital and uh, that are, uh, you know, folks who had, have served our nation and they could use a visit. Uh, maybe you like to uh, knit or crochet something. You, you can make them, a, you know, some gloves or a sweater or hat or something. Uh you know, just just for folks to come and uh, visit them and, and know that uh, they're not forgotten. That people are people do uh, care about them and do recognize them uh, would go a very long way at this time. And uh, I also say 
if you know of a veteran who is uh, maybe subject to uh, depression, keep a close eye on them this holiday season. Um, suicides among veterans is just still so rampant um, for these folks who, you know, have been traumatized by <clears throat> the things they've seen and the things they've had to do. Um, and uh, it has a deep effect on them. And for you to show some concern and, and compassion for them, you know, might just be the difference that they need. And, and that goes for our first responders as well. I agree, yeah. You know, uh, what a fireman sees, what a what a policeman has to go through at some point or the other, and what, you know, what the ambulance attendant sees. And uh, I tell you what, you want to see them, and you'll see them for, you know, a few minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever, but they may see you the rest of their lives. A big difference. And be traumatized by it, you know. But we do have help for, we do have help, and we do a show called A Place for Veterans. And this is for anyone suffering from PTSD and Dr. Don Moeller does a fantastic job on that show. It's at 10 o'clock on Thursday mornings. Uh, and he has recognized he has PTSD. He was a medic before he became a dentist and before he became an MD. And, uh, you know, he, he knows what it's like to have PTSD and he knows how to address it. And this is one of the biggest things you were mentioning about going and, and visiting with uh, a veteran in a, in a VA hospital or wherever. And I would urge and encourage veterans to do that in that a veteran will open up and talk to another veteran before they will even their family in many cases. And it's so important to get them to open up and talk and like I've, you've heard me say this many times. You, you you can't put two veterans together and have either one of them tell only one story. Once you get them cranked up, there's no off button. They just keep talking about this happened, that happened, and uh, and and they're wonderful, wonderful stories. And a veteran relating to another veteran is just absolutely glorifying, you know, and your ideal of going and visiting with somebody in the VA, in a VA hospital or a situation like that is great, and I hope people will do it, and, uh, you know, I read one of the pass passages today, uh, I take a, a, a cowboy thing that uh, said, uh, think of others before you think of yourself. And that's so true. And probably the, hard, the holidays are the hardest times of ever 
for those that are lonely and those that have no one and those that are serving wherever they are around the world. But it's so much better today because we have the electronics to at least say hello. And that's good. But like you said, Phil, it's it's very worrisome and a, and a, and and it shouldn't be the number of veteran suicides daily it's not just you know once in a while it is daily and we need to do something about it and you're helping Phil and I know you are and uh a lot of our veterans are reaching out and working with other veterans so anyone listening Anyone listening who might be a veteran, I would encourage them to get involved with their local uh, Disabled American Veterans chapter or the VFW or American Legion folks. You know, it's taken, well, as a, not as an outsider, but as someone on the outside sort of looking in, uh, it's taken a long time to get the veterans the respect and get them the attention that they need to have. And finally that's happening, and it's happening from the few remaining World War II veterans through our latest situations in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we... We keep making progress because of folks like you, Phil, and I think this is, it's wonderful that the veterans are being recognized. And, you know, it, it's a big step when you raise your right hand, you know? And nobody knows, after you've raised it, nobody knows where they're going really. And it doesn't matter which branch you're in. You can, uh, and this is something that most people don't know, and they sort of poo-poo the Coast Guard, but the Coast Guard played a very important and active role in Vietnam, and a lot of folks don't realize this. And I'm also, in all, yeah, in all of our conflicts, really, right? They, uh, they're not just Vietnam; they've they've been in all of them, and uh, you know they do a fantastic job and. You know, because they're not officially under Department of Defense, they, the folks that serve in the Coast Guard get a little short shrift every once in a while on things like medical care. You think, you know, if you're in the Navy or Marine Corps, you have uh, the, a whole medical system of the, of the Navy. If you're serving in the Coast Guard, <clears throat> you know, they don't, they don't have hospitals and, and uh, medical facilities and, and you know, I don't think they have a medical corps, really, in, in the Coast Guard. I was talking to a Coast Guardsman I was working with uh, for a veteran claim the other day, and he said, well, you got to, you know, I asked him about his medical records, and he said, well, you got to understand what it's like to be in the Coast Guard. You don't, you don't have that infrastructure that they have in the Navy or the Army or the Air Force. You know, they, uh, they uh, kind of make do. And I got to add one other thing while you're talking, Phil, and that's I'm glad to see that they're finally doing something with and for our merchant marines. Yeah. 
when we, you know, when we sent our stuff to Desert Storm, uh, our stuff had to go on a Greek ship. Our, our, you know, equipment that had to be, you know, sent over on a surface vessel went on a, on a Greek merchant ship because we didn't have the capacity in the American flag, uh, merchant marine service. And yet, the merchant marines, particularly, well, in World War II, I can't address what or how much they did in Vietnam, but certainly in World War II, they went out to cross the Atlantic unarmed and targets for the Nazis. And we lost a number of men, good men, that volunteered to be merchant marines and then had their ship shot out from under them or torpedoed out from under them. And they never got any, they never got anything for a number of years. And I don't, I know that a lot of that has changed. I don't know to what extent. If there is a merchant marine that's listening or listens to the podcast, we'd love to hear from you and find out more. And anybody that has a question uh, for Phil or for any of our other shows, just email gm at America's Web Radio, whether it's a doctor's question or a military question, whatever, we'll get you an answer or one of our hosts will address your questions on their next show. And we'd love to hear from you anytime. And uh, I know... You, you've got a historian here, uh, Mr. Farsberg, that is incredible. And if he doesn't know the answer off the top of his head, he knows where to find the answer. And uh, it is such a delight to work with you, Phil. Uh, I mean, you make my you make my every Monday. Well, I'm glad, David. I enjoy doing the show. I enjoy talking about the things. Uh, that are um, important to me, and I feel like others should have a, at least a little um, window on that. Absolutely, and I don't know of anybody else, I don't know of any other station or anybody else that focuses on remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, yeah, we can't let any of our military actions be forgotten because if you do that then you're forgetting the people that saved your bacon the people that had raised their hands and they went and put their life on the line for you and that's something that because of the season we all have to just like I said be down on our knees thanking God for our wonderful folks that will put their life on the line for others, for their friends, for their relatives, and for their country. And that they have, the veterans that have done that, and the folks that are on active duty. I can't say enough about the folks on active duty right now, and and also how much I love our veterans. They, uh, they raised their hand and stood up when their country called. And I think that's one of the most important things any man or today any woman can do. And certainly there is a place in the military for all women if they want to serve. And it's not just serving the men that are in the military, it's serving 
in the military. And uh, we have the, we're so blessed to have the the best folks in the world. And like, like I asked you and like you said, I don't know of any other country that could have an all-voluntary military like we do. And kids coming out of high school volunteering, coming out of college volunteering, and those that just want to serve their country volunteering. And uh, it can be a great life. It's not a perfect life, but it can be a great life. And the education you can get is just the best in the world, without a doubt. And following your tour, you can get more education via the government, and they'll be glad to pay for it. So with that being said, Phil, it's getting to be about that time. And, uh, you know, I... I can't tell you, I've tried, but I don't do a good job of it, how much this show means to me. And working with you is one of the pleasures that I get out of having the station. And, uh, you know, it's it just, just incredible. And uh, I do appreciate it and look forward to uh, next week. And what are you, what are you going to come up with for next week? You know already? I couldn't begin to tell you. Okay. Be good. It will be good. It's always good. And uh, we just want people to remember anybody that served and uh, particularly those we can't forget our military that served in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And that's that's why we do the show. So, with that being said, happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you next week. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.